0: Heyo, and welcome to the first ever Not Just the Jersey podcast. I'm your host, Will Oberndorfer, and I am so excited to be here with you today. The mission of Not Just the Jersey is simple. I want to highlight the philanthropy, the activism, and the overall character of professional athletes. But I don't want it to be a quick tweet or a quick mention by an announcer, I want it to be a full-on story digging into their origins, their motivations, and their reasons for helping out in the community. I think so often we are quick to judge athletes for one thing they do wrong, but I want to paint their picture with the many things they do right. So, today we have special guest Chris Dudley on the podcast, who played basketball in the 80s and 90s all the way until 2003 during his 16-year career. I'm lucky enough to have a personal relationship and to have been personally impacted positively by his philanthropy and work in the community. But before we get there, I want to talk to you about a segment we're going to have on Not Just the Jersey. It's going to be indicated by this sound. And when you hear that sound, it's going to let you know that I'm about to highlight a story that I heard recently or a moment from a professional athlete this week in which they were doing good in their community. This week's just nice highlight goes out to Michael Jordan. I was in my communications class, advanced public speaking, and the kid next to me goes up to give his speech, and we are giving speeches on ourselves, and one of the requirements is that we had to give her an unusual fact. When this kid got to the unusual fact portion of his speech, He talked about a trip where he took to Vegas and took a seat at a table. And right across from him was Michael Jordan drinking a bottle of wine. Michael went on to have a three-hour conversation with this teenage kid who he had never met before. And still to this day, Michael sends him an email once a year, updating him on his life and then eventually asking this kid about his own. He also sends him tickets to the game, in his own suite at least once a year. Now, to me, that is the just nice highlight epitome. Someone going beyond just their jersey and just being a good human and doing good in the community with their resources and what their platform. Thank you, Michael, for your example. All right, guys. I am so excited for you to listen into to this interview with Chris Dudley, and I just can't wait any longer. Unfortunately... This podcast is not yet sponsored, being its first podcast, but I want you to know that this specific podcast is brought to you by Artificial Insulin, because without it, neither Chris nor I would be alive. We are both type 1 diabetics, and you'll see that he has had quite the impact on the diabetes community. So today is 16-year NBA veteran, father of three, philanthropist, and just overall great man, Chris Dudley. Chris, such an honor having you here today. Uh, In many ways, this podcast exists because of you. Uh, I've been lucky enough to have been impacted positively because of your life. Um, And you are my first and firsthand example of an athlete that's not just the jersey. Uh, So thank you for joining me here today. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Yeah, I'm excited. So the first segment we're going to have here today is called Just the Facts. Just some quick hitters, one or two stories about your playing days, um, maybe things that people don't know about you. So I want to take you first back to your sophomore year in college, just at the end. You just earned all Ivy League honors, and you went to Dean Smith and Jim Valvano's camps at North Carolina and North Carolina State. Can you talk to me about that experience, the atmosphere, the players, the competition?
1: deal back then was you worked the camps, you worked during the day, and, um, and then at night, uh, sometimes at lunch but usually at night after camp are, are pickup games and at unc you would have some of the best pickup games in the world i mean you had from michael jordan to wow. know, james worthy brad doherty uh just you know that was wow, wow. that was the, and, and then other people who were visiting or staying or former alumni uh who were coming coming back and, and same thing over at nc state you had uh a team that had just won the national championship a couple of years before. Um, and you wow. had Nate McMillan, uh, Vinny Del Negro, Charles Shackelford. I wow, mean, wow. just two, those were two top, top teams uh, with top talent. And for me, I had had a good year at, uh, at Yale uh, made all, all league, but it was a good chance for me to kind of see how I matched up against the, the best of the best. And when I did okay during—I'm not going to say I killed everybody—but I did okay during the uh, yeah. uh, during the summer, especially for me matching up with Brad Doherty, who was later a teammate of mine and, and a friend at, at the Cavs. Uh, but when I felt like I could hold my own and, and at least you know felt like I deserved to be out there, uh, that was the first time I'd always had a dream to play in the NBA, but that was the time where it clicked it. Maybe I can play professionally. If not the NBA, at least play overseas. So that was really good for my confidence um, and incredible experience.
0: Yeah, it's not only legendary coaches at their camp, but also legendary players. It's an awesome, awesome camp. So after that, you continued to improve. You got two first all first uh, first-team All-Ivy honors, and then 75th pick in the draft, you went to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Who was with you on draft night? What was your reaction? And who was the first person you called?
1: Well, it was a different deal back then. So uh, then they had, I don't know, it was eight or nine rounds or 10 rounds, or it went uh, much different than today where there's only two rounds. And so they televise, well, I don't even know if they did tell I'm trying to remember if they televised it. I think they did. Um, But just the first round, Mm -hmm. And then if, if at all. And so basically I had some friends from Yale who were out visiting, staying at, that I was with my dad and we were just hanging, hanging out, you know, doing different things. Um, And then my dad, I think my dad got the phone call and told, told me um, what was going on. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't quite the same where you're in the, in the green room waiting to be the fifth pick of the draft. It was, I was the 75th pick and it was, little less, uh, a lot less formal back then. So, um, found out it was the Cavs. And I didn't know what to think at that time because uh, uh, I'd been talking to my agent and that was not one of the teams that we, we had talked about. And uh, I didn't know that much about them. And then when I looked at the roster, they had a lot of veterans in in, in, uh, in my position. So, it was gonna be a tough, tough team to play, but, or a tough team to make. Um, but uh, I was just psyched to, to have gotten drafted, you know, to be drafted. Well, originally, before I got injured, I thought I might go in the second round. Ended up going, had a uh, season-ending yeah, season injury at the end of my uh, career uh, that set me back. And so uh, uh, getting drafted, uh, yeah, 75th, which would be, set, I think, second round today. Or um, Anyway, I was fired up. I just wanted to make the team.
0: Yeah. And who was that first person you called with the news that you made
1: the NBA? Yes. Right. Cause I was with my family. So I don't know. I, I don't remember. And it was a little different back then. Right. You didn't have. Cell yeah. phones. <laughs> so, yeah. so it wasn't quite like today where you'd be calling everybody, texting everybody, you know, my, my, you know, my mom, my parent, I, I'm sure it was my mom. I must've, told my mom, because I don't think my parents were divorced. So I think I was at my dad's, or I know I was at my dad's. And so I'm sure I called my mom.
0: Awesome. I mean, that's such a cool story that you went from 75th pick to 16 year NBA veteran and diabetic nonetheless, which we'll get into but uh, it's an awesome and inspirational story. So when you first stepped out onto the court for the sneaker heads out there, what shoes were you wearing? And then, what shoes did you end up loving throughout your career?
1: Oh wow, going way back. I think I was Nike, but I know I was Converse for a while early in my career, and Converse um, were kind of Converse were kind of uh, a big deal back then.
0: That blows my mind. I cannot imagine playing in Converse. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, no, it was not the converse. It was not the canvas converse. I mean, they had, yeah, yeah, you know, regular. I mean, regular. Let, they were like all the other sneakers, but it was uh, either Nike. I think it was. I started with Nike. Then I had a little bit of a deal with Converse, and then went back to Nike. Nice, nice. and ended up and was in Nike. You know, once I came to Portland for sure.
0: Oh yeah, oh yeah and I and do you, you have a good relationship with Phil Knight is what I understand
1: I do Phil uh he helped me during uh uh political campaign running for governor and I met Phil when I first came to Portland, and uh uh yeah met, met with him at Nike and I've just had so much respect for him and what he created at Nike. Um, Love his book that he that he wrote, uh Shoe Dog recently. If you haven't read it, I'd highly recommend it. And uh uh just love how passionate he is about sports, not just Nike, but sports in general. He's at every Oregon duck game and yeah uh just, yeah. A, just a super fan and uh, a, a great person who's done so much for uh Oregon and uh um his um and Stanford as well.
0: Yeah, I it's always a spectacle to see what Jersey Oregon will come up with, but yeah, it's been he's awesome. made it pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, he's made it really cool, and the new track they put in uh, stadium, which is really awesome. All right, I want to know. I, you know, typically we ask you questions at camp, which we'll get into, but I don't think anybody's ever asked you this question during that first season. Did you ever receive mm-hmm. any rookie treatment?
1: Good question. I'm trying to remember, and I I do feel like I do feel like when you're a rookie, sometimes people try you. When by try you, I mean is get a little physical with you. Um, probably more of that. You know, the mm-hmm. big guys aren't as much talkers as the guards are. The guards are always the little yippers. You know. Mm-hmm. The, Interesting. Big guys aren't as much talk, but somebody will shoot you a shot to the chest, you know, shoot you an elbow, and kind of see, or you know, kind of bang in the and see how you react. And if you react where you kind of shy away from it and kind of uh, pull in, you're you're going to be in trouble. And so you got to be able to hold your ground. And um, and so I don't remember one specific, but I just remember different times where people would kind of go at you and you just had to be uh, you had to be tough. especially at that time, it was a different, different game back then. And uh, uh, coming from Yale, which didn't have really the basketball rep rep, you know? Yeah. um, So just kind of had to, you know, had to show what you were, what you were made of. And then after that, um, you know, let's play and just move on.
0: Yeah. That really speaks to like, Good 80s, 90s bruiser basketball that, you know, we saw in the last dance that people talk about. That's so different to today. All right. Final question before we transition into your uh, off the court impact, both now and while you were playing, what's your go to low blood
1: sugar treatment? Hmm. So now I've got uh, goo packs that I keep with me. Yes. So that's my go-to if I need something, you know, right away. You know, ideally, if I'm low, you know, it's like you hate to let a well go to waste, and so if there's a cookie around or something <laughs> I <can't laughs> normally eat, um, that I might, I might take advantage of that. But, but if I'm if I'm out, if I'm uh, out or, you know, exercising or whatever, I would uh, uh, goopax goo is what I. I I take with them. In fact, I take those, uh, when I go out in the ocean too, I keep them in my shorts and keep them out there as well. And those are awesome because they don't, you know, they don't melt. They don't, they're, they're easy to take around with you. When I was playing, um, really on the bench, kind of had three, three different things, had Gatorade there. You had apple juice and you had something called Gator load, which was just a high carb, really high carb drink, you know, and, and Gatorade was, I don't know, I think it's like 15 carbs per serving. Apple juice was like 40 and uh, Gator, Gator load um, was like 65. So it was, Holy cow. Yeah. It was, it was nasty. Just super high carb. <laughs> and so it just really depended on how I felt if I needed, you know, during the game, you kind of sip on Gatorade. And sometimes I had to have Gatorade and water Cause I don't want too much, but just enough to kind of keep me, um, Mm -hmm. keep my blood sugar up while I'm um, uh, exercising. And so it just depended on what, what I needed, but apple juice is typically what I'd rely on if I really needed a a spike.
0: Apple juice. I mean, Yeah, I I definitely relate to your cookie uh, talk because lows are always a little better around the holidays when you have the pies, the cakes, the cookies. That's definitely true. Well, and
1: and as you know, when you get low, you get that craving, too. Oh,
0: yeah. So hungry.
1: So hungry. And the cookie tastes that much better.
0: (laughs) It it does. It does. Other people don't understand how much better sugar tastes when your blood sugar is low.
1: Exactly.
0: All right. Now we're going to get into your off-the-court impact here. Chris, you were the first ever professional basketball player to play with type 1 diabetes, and you played for 16 years. In many ways, you paved the road for professionals like Jay Cutler, Mark Andrews, uh, Adam Morrison. Can you talk to me about playing with type 1 and the origin of Chris Dudley Foundation?
1: Yeah, so... um Playing with type one, you know, to be honest, in the beginning, it was, it was hard. It was, um, um, this was my rookie year was 87 and the technology for diabetes just isn't where it is today. It's so much better today than it, than it was then. Um, so I went into training camp and obviously the, uh, the trainers, all the doctors all knew I had diabetes and coach, but I don't even know if the coaches knew at first that I had diabetes. And, um, um, and I didn't want to highlight it because I didn't, there was a little bit of a stigma back then. There was uh Ron Santos played third base for the Cubs and had a great career, Bobby Clark in, in hockey, but there, as you said, nobody had played in basketball and it was a real concern. Can you, can you make it with having diabetes? And so um, it was really important to me to, to, really make sure that diabetes was really never an issue as much as, you know, as much as I could. Um, so, so I was able to do that. And then I was able to play um, successfully. And then I had a year where I think I started all 82 games. And that, that was probably when, when I had the year where I played every single game. I think, well, I think I started, I don't know if I started, maybe I started half of them, whatever. Um, uh, but I played in every game that year, had a really good year. Uh, when I was with the Nets and felt like, and that was maybe my third or fourth year felt like, uh, you know, I've been playing for three, four years, played every single game, not had any issues. That's when it really was much more open about now is when I can really kind of highlight that I have diabetes because it's not an, I, I think I've put to rest that it's an issue. Yeah. And it was, it was after my sixth year, I was a free agent and I signed with Portland and, and signed a contract that was longer term and kind of set me up where I knew uh, uh, I was set up financially. And that's when we started the foundation. And one of the f- first things wanted to do was with the foundation was, uh, was diabetes and had the idea of uh, when you're an NBA player, you're asked all the time about doing a basketball mm-hmm. camp. And I had been involved with a, had made a donation um, and helped with a camp in Oregon called Gales Creek, which was a diabetes camp, not, not basketball, just a regular summer camp. And just had the idea, um, my wife and my, uh, Chris and my sister, um, we had the idea of uh, starting a, a basketball camp for kids with type one diabetes. And we did that, started the foundation, I think, in 94. I think the first camp was either 95 or 96. And last year would have been our 25th year um, if we had, well, it was on, it was our 25th year, but it was online. So, so we've been doing camp for uh, 25 years.
0: Yeah. And can you, when you first created camp, did you imagine it being as it is now today?
1: No. So first started the camp, the Really, the emphasis was going to be because I would get letters from uh, kids or their parents kind of asking, how do you do it? How do you play? How do you play pro basketball with having type one diabetes? What's your what's your game day routine? What do you eat? How often do you test You know the, the questions, the diabetes questions on how, how do you make this happen? And so the idea with camp was so let's have a camp where and we'll we'll talk about the the diabetes aspect and, and the, and obviously the basketball instruction, but it would, uh, the big benefit was going to be showing how you play basketball with, uh, with having diabetes. And, and that still is a huge, obviously is the huge emphasis is, is the diabetes side and the basketball. But what I didn't realize was, um, how impactful camp would be for all the kids, um, just in, being around other kids with diabetes who had similar interests and typical. So often, as you know, kids might be the only one in their high school that has diabetes, or they might be the only one in their grade, or there might be somebody else who's in you know, two grades lower and not share any interests or really don't know them. And so that, it can feel pretty lonely. I didn't know anybody in high school who had diabetes and even in college, I don't think I did. Um, and so it's so impactful for, for campers to, to develop this family, this community, um, where everybody at, likes basketball to some level, um, all have type 1 diabetes and are great kids. And, and um, now stay friends, stay in touch all year round and really uh, started that family. And the family part, that community part, I didn't realize what the, how impactful the camp would be. And I retired in 2003, which was probably the eighth or ninth year of camp um, and kind of wondered, all right, it's, you know, is camp still gonna go on now that I'm not playing for the Knicks and on NBC on Sunday, where they're talking about camp. I mean, we had, it was, it got a lot of uh, notoriety um, at the time when I was playing, but we kind of wondered, all right, how's it gonna do now that I'm no longer no longer playing? And, Quickly realized it had nothing, you know, it didn't matter about me. Um, didn't matter if I was playing or not playing. It was just that the camp was such a benefit. Uh, so great for the for the campers.
0: Yeah, uh, as you talk about the notoriety, you won the 1996 NBA's J. Walter Kennedy Citizenship Award for your efforts. But um, on a personal note, I just wanted to thank you. Like I've been a camper and a staffer for eight years now. Um, and I've made lifelong friends and people who will be at my wedding, people I consider to be family. Literally, as we sp- were keeping in touch, I got a group chat going on with camp people texting. So nice. uh, just that w- wouldn't be possible without you. So thank you for that.
1: Well, th- well, thank you. And I, and I will say this, um, and you've heard me say this at camp, is that, you know, it was, yeah, I'm, well, first of all, I'm thrilled to have started, I'm thrilled to you know be a part of camp. And I feel like I get as much out of camp as you guys do. Um, it's great for me as well, and it's uh, every year. It's kind of keeps you young, and it's great to see everybody's uh, you know familiar faces and enjoy it. And just there, there really is a sense of community with uh, with everybody there.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like nothing else I've personally experienced. And I think speaking to that, like what I love about camp is you always take the time to be there to coach, to inspire, to talk to the kids. Um, and I think that's really cool. But you've also spent some time coaching. Um, you were assistant coach at Lake Oswego. You have have count talented kids who you've coached. Can you talk to me about the joy of coaching and sharing your knowledge with youth?
1: Yeah, it's always the, uh, you know, as a player, you want to well, first of all, you, you remember everybody helped you along the way, and and the benefit, and you kind of want to pay it back, pay it back. Um, and I just, you know, I just love the game. I, I think basketball is the greatest game in the world. Love the game, and I love being around kids. And if if somebody wants to learn it, um, I I really enjoy the instruction and, and the uh, uh, when when you're coaching, you really get to know no kid you get 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 to know the players get to know the kids and uh um there's the basketball part and then you get to know them as as young adults as well and that's uh, really enjoyable and um I've, I've just enjoyed the process
0: yeah that's it's i think it's cool to see not only you but you pull out some of your friends like herb brown and come and just give back to um and all those high school coaches who gather around just to give back to these kids and um especially at camp. Chris, you also have a unique post-NBA story. I'm not sure how many uh, NBA players could say this, but you, in 2010, ran for governor of Oregon. Um, Narrowly lost, but what drove you to public service as a politician, and what impact did you hope to make?
1: Well, so what drove me was uh, just what I saw as a need. Um... State of Oregon was struggling at that time, and I ran in 2010. Um, and I had seen from uh, from our foundation, which focuses on on uh, diabetes, obviously, as we've talked about, but also education. Uh, been been involved with a number of groups called from "I Have a Dream" to Self Enhancement Institute. Um, was on the board, Boys and Girls Club, you know, other groups, um, other boards, and you saw what great things that nonprofits could do, could do awesome, awesome things. But you also saw uh, how much impact can be had at the government Mm. level as well. And Mm. um, it was kind of a series of things where I was looking into it. I was uh, uh, wanting to to help make a difference and um, got asked, frankly, got asked to run and and thought about it and prayed about it and talked to Chris my wife about it and kind of went through the process where you you, you start and you kind of do a you start us with a small committee and start thinking about it go across and I kept thinking well waiting for that stop sign say no this is crazy what are you doing and in fact they kept getting encouraged and decided to run and it was a um great experience and i really enjoyed it I, you know obviously would have liked to have won by uh you know well we lost by a little less than one percent would have loved to, to have won but uh really enjoyed the process and made so many oregon is such a great state and met so many great people along the way and uh, really felt like we were able to make a difference in a lot of ways just through our campaign um and really had had great people help us, and uh, yeah, I, I I I enjoyed. Well, I enjoyed most of the process, not all of it. There's, <laughs> yeah. As everybody knows, there's a lot of unfortunately ugly ugly parts to it. Uh, but I enjoyed the the parts I did enjoy was getting out and meeting with people and traveling the state and really talking to people. And and you uh, uh, when you're a basketball player, you talk to a fair amount of people or you can talk to a fair amount of people you know about basketball and running people but but when you're running for office running for governor you, you talk to people about a lot not, not just basketball but their life and different issues and um, it was really uh, 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 fascinating and really uh, really felt like uh, good things could happen so anyway it was a great process
0: Yeah, I think that's a unique and awesome story of driving the public service. But you talked about your wife. Um, You yourself have a degree in economics from Yale. You're successful um, as a financial advisor, but you aren't the only business person in your family. Your wife, Chris, started an apparel company, Live Heads Up. Can you speak on her company's mission and just maybe the work she's put
1: into it so far? Yeah, no, she's done, she's doing awesome things, uh, with it. And it's, uh, uh, live heads up is, is the name of the company. And that's the, that's the motto, that's the slogan or, um, and it's really the, as it's as, you know, as simple as it sounds, um, that you want to so often, uh, people start to look live down and whether it's staring at a monitor, staring at a phone or, or being down about something it's no, we've got to, uh, we've got to flip that and we've got to live heads up and, and look up at, at what's out there and it's really the the power that positive attitude. Um, I know she loved for, you know, kind of hang loose was the slogan that was, uh, around when I was, uh, growing up in Southern California. And it's kind of mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. now I want it to be live heads up you know, live, live with a positive attitude, and we enjoy life, get outside, do things, enjoy what we have out there. And, and uh, I think uh, now more than ever, it's, it's so appropriate. And I, you know, one of the really unfortunate things with what we're going through is as country, um, uh, both with the uh, kind of the political divide and all the cable news and all that, the, all that nonsense, but also, but magnified by covid where people can't get out and socialize and you you, you don't even want to get close to somebody and it's uh and we really uh depression is as uh skyrocketed and we really need to change attitudes and uh, uh help people and help people to be able to live heads up yeah that's i mean i think it's an incredible
0: mission and so simple too i i was surprised to see that nobody else had like tried to coin this the simple slogan, um, and we were too. She, she was
1: she was psyched to be on it. We just got the patent. <laughs> yeah, so. it's
0: it's got an awesome logo too. I will link um, her website in the description to this podcast. But I just really love their mission and the brand itself. The apparel is really cool as well. So it's not just the mission too. All right, one more thing, Chris. Um, we're gonna wrap up, bringing it back around to your playing days. Um, part of not just the jerseys' mission is to really highlight the work and character of athletes that maybe not wouldn't be seen by the media or just to the general eye. So do you have any teammates or friends from the league that you could highlight for their work and for their character?
1: Well, the the, the one I'd like to I know is there was a number of players who do did, did awesome things. But the one that immediately comes to mind is somebody you've you've seen out of camp, which is Brian Grant. Um, uh, Brian is a real good friend and and just an awesome guy. And he, he got um, uh, Parkinson's. Our, our career, we I ended up playing against him. I never actually played on the same team, but became good friends with him because we uh, he I, he came to Portland right after I did, and I would see him and play against him. And Brian got Parkinson's, and uh, after his career, he felt like, and he started a foundation, and he's just been very visible and outspoken about it. And the uh, thing about Parkinson is it's readily visible. You can see the, the tremors, see the, see the shakes, and shows it and, and just talks to uh, people who have it um, on how to help address it. Um, and help deal with it. And then to those who don't who on an awareness about it, and he's just, uh, just a great guy. And he's comes out to, comes out to our um, camp whenever, whenever he's in town and can make it, he's been a regular out there and just opens his heart up to the, to the campers. And I think that's something that's uh, uh, really important. And he was seen as such a warrior when he played, I mean, he was a bad He was so physical and, uh, played so hard but just you know showing his his vulnerability and his struggles and what he's dealt with uh, I think has been extremely impactful and so uh, uh big fan of, of Brian's.
0: Yeah I know as a young camper Brian comes out and he puts a hundred dollars on knockout right and it's everybody gets excited about it but first he gives the talk and we talked to him about his story his playing days and my first couple of years, I was more excited about the hundred dollars than I was Brian Grant. But I ended up that my grandma came down with Parkinson's and eventually passed from Parkinson's related um, illnesses. And it just showing his vulnerability and his also his strength with Parkinson's really has meant a lot to me. And I thank you for bringing him out to camp because um, his story has touched me a little more every time since my grandma's passed. And just an awesome dude is what I've come to realize too. So that's all I have for you, Chris. Um, Thank you again for being here. Thank you for being a player with success. That is not just the Jersey. Um, It's been awesome to talk to you and catch up again.
1: I appreciate it. Well, yeah, thank you.
0: That is the end of our podcast. What a great story. Chris had to share with us in helping out his community in so many ways. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on whatever platform you listen on. And this is your reminder to be great today.